Uh, hey, you have all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble staying asleep. Welcome. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it a bedtime story. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights and press play. I'm going to do the rest. What I'm going to do is try to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's keeping you awake, uh, whether it's uh, thinking, you know, thoughts, uh, feelings, physical sensations, emotions, changes in routine, outside noises like your upstairs neighbor currently while you're recording a podcast intro using the sink. Or, you know, something else. Whatever's keeping you awake. It might be one of those things. It could be any uh, any of a variety of stuff. Whatever it is, I'd like to take your mind off of that. And here's how I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to create a safe, welcoming place because I'm glad you're here and I'd like to help. If I can, what I'm going to do is send my voice across the deep, dark night. I'm going to use these lulling, soothing, creaky, dulcet tones. And, pay, you know, lulling, soothing pace I try to keep. I did have... Uh, some soda today. Trying to cut back on soda, but, uh, you know, oh boy. Uh, and I'm only drinking like two a, one or two a day. Anyway, n- n- enough about me. What I'm going to try to do is, uh, like, uh, well, I do ramble, so, like, uh, I do get distracted. I forget what I was talking about. Circle back. I try to circle back. But then I say, well, she said, look at all these foot, which footprints are mine? You know, and they say, well, it's your in your brain, Scoots. The call's coming from inside your brain. And I said, what call? Wait, somebody, did somebody call me? Like, you know, this is totally off topic, but you know, I like to answer the phone now. I always answer the phone in a grouchy mood. This just happened to me. Uh, maybe I'll come back to this. Let me welcome the new listeners. New listeners, this is Apple applies to everybody, though. So if you're new here, I'm glad you're here. This podcast will put you to sleep. So here's, there's no rules, but here's the deal. You don't need to listen to me. I'll try to be entertaining enough and engaging enough to take your mind off stuff, but, you know, I'll lose you along the way, ideally. Because uh, you're under no pressure to listen to me. Even though it's a sleep podcast, you're also under no pressure to fall asleep because I'll be here about an hour uh, to keep you company. And I'll keep rambling. I'll keep talking. I'll keep bedtime storying you or Trek talk tonight. While you drift off at your leisure, a structure show, we're already a bit into it, but the first five minutes or so is uh, to cover the bills and uh, eventually keep this podcast going forever. Uh, so you gotta, it's important to listen to that part, but then now we're in an m- intro. Intros are usually 12 to 14 minutes where I'll try to make a metaphor about how the podcast works. And it'll, I guess it'll be about a grouchy answering of phone calls and something about this Star Trek episode. And then I'll be talking later after this about an episode of Star Trek, The Perfect Mate. And so, yeah, you have this new thing. When it's not a blocked call, I mean, usually I don't I don't really like answering the phone. I think we've established this. It's not my strong suit. Uh, seems to just take too much courage. And I realize that for a lot of people, it might be like, what are you afraid of, Scoots? I don't, I don't really know. I can't put my finger on it. Also seems like answering the phone seems like a lot of work to me. So I guess start to get, ex- as soon as the phone rings, they start to feel exhausted. So I say, well, but today, but when I do, but then I have the other part of me. These are the kind of things that keep me up at night. There's that, there's that camp or that, uh, you know, set of thoughts. And then there's the thoughts, what's wrong with you? Why can't you answer the phone like a regular human being? A little shaming. You could you, a taste of shame in there. 
And then there's the aspirational part. Well, geez, I wish I could be a normal human that just answers the phone like, uh, yippee, yay, <laughs> hooray, glad to get your call. What can I do? Scoot's here. Or whatever normal adjusted people. I don't know how they answer their phone. I'll tell you how a non-well-adjusted person answers the phone because I just did it. And it was a person's birthday. And it was a, like kind of a business call, too. And I answered, I said, what is this phone number in it? But I said, well, let me answer it. Uh, and I answered it. And I, what I do is I use a very grouchy voice, uh, like, so that if it's a tele, like, then I don't have to change the tone. If it's a telemarketer, and that happened to me two nights ago, so I guess I should give myself some leeway. First off, if you're a telemarketer, don't call and say you knew when I stayed in a hotel. Like, that is just, like, I, I should have just hung up immediately on the telemarketer. They said, hey, did you stay at this? And I said, you got to be kidding me. Did it, Like, is this about the hotel? Like, and then they said, and then they're trying to sell me some crap, you know? But that's off topic. This poor person, this poor young person, I think, uh, she called and I answered it grouchy. But she and she did, she was in a very good mood because it was her birthday and it was like like uh, hey, I got this idea I wanted to pitch you on. Very positive call. So it took me a few seconds to change gears from total grouch, uh, like to. Uh, like, I can't imagine being on the other end of that call, because uh, as we we're talking, I think she was headed to her birthday party with a, a couple boxes of cake. And then I answered, and it was calling, and like I said, it was a positive thing. Like, not only working with positive stuff and the birthday stuff, and I said, hello, like, hello. I didn't say it like that. I have a more aggressive answering, and too aggressive for a sleep podcast, like, Subtextually, what the heck, you know, what the heck you calling me about? I don't like the phone, but I'm trying to grow. And I don't know if anybody else relates to it. Like something like that goes through your mind at night, all those things. And they say, well, geez, when, and then you say, and then another part, well, when did it all go wrong? I think I could probably write out like just an autobiography about the phone. When did it, when did, maybe I could just interview myself. When did it all go wrong with you and the phone, Scoots? Well, there was a time when I liked talking on the phone, uh, I think. Uh, anyway, it's not important. What's important is that, that, that that's the kind of stuff they give you. So I'm going to try to take your mind off that to distract you from that. But also, you know who's running the show here? Like, uh, <laughs> someone that is only qualified uh, to ramble. I guess it would be a, like a, I used to work at this company where we sold iron-on patches and buttons. And we had a couple buttons, one of which I probably, like, not boyfriend material, uh, which I think that, like, this, this Star Trek episode's called The Perfect Mate. And they say, well, that, that's probably saying you're not a perfect mate when you can uh, when you can talk for just about six minutes about... Uh, and barely scratch the surface with your phone issues. And this isn't, it is pretty efficient to handle stuff by the phone. I, I wish, I, like, I, I guess I don't wish. I, I, I can get better. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. The, like, maybe I need to get one of those children's books about, like, the, the little little engine, the little phone call that, that Scoots could take. And I guess this was good data collection because I did answer the call today, and it was positive. It was a double positive because I got to wish this person a happy birthday. 
and engage and, and hear their pitch and say, well, I love it. I love your ideas. They're, they're wonderful. I don't think I've ever said those things in my life, but I was probably thinking those, these are really great ideas. Uh, one day I'll be able to communicate those things as well. Uh, but tonight's episode, I guess what I thought the intro was going to be out was this. So the name of the episode is The Perfect Mate, which, I mean, Jean-Luc Picard, uh, he's, you know, depending on how you like your mates, if you like them uh, steeped in uh, Earl Grey, you know, he's a pretty sweet dude. Uh, like, he's got a lot of positive qualities. But I was going to try to make the intro about the xylophone, because at some points he's playing like a synth, a synth xylophone, like... Uh, this is like a, I don't know how to describe it. You'd have to watch the episode. Like a xylophone that looks like it's made from bamboo, but it makes synth, synth sounds, like uh, uh, whatever you call it, electric organ type stuff. You know, like a, like the 80s. Uh, like the kind of music you like to listen to while Ryan Gosling drives in a movie. That's like synth, but this was a xylophone. And it was always confusing for me, xylophones, because it's like, like it's like I think this was what the original intro was going to be about, me pondering, like, spelling lessons, and, and then people have to learn English, and they say, what the heck is that word? What's xylophone? Just say it's xylophone. And you say, what is it, like, X-O-X is Y-E-L-M-Q or something? Xylophone doesn't make any sense. I mean, other than the phone part, I don't know. It's, I guess that connects, so I was talking about the phone. And I guess it was like, maybe to me, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to tie it together. Like, it's, it, 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 I don't know. I guess, like, I feel I feel like a xylophone. No, that doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, like, uh, I guess you can make beautiful music. This situation was part of a peace process in this episode or a piece related ceremony. Uh, so that was like, that's sweet. And maybe I could, so maybe I can make peace with my, I mean, that's what I kind of tried to, and that's what we really need to at bedtime say, Hey, you listen up. I just want to go to bed. I realize, uh, we don't got a handle on this telephone thing. And, you know, they switched it over the years, uh, from a landline, uh, to a flip phone, to a smartphone, you know, so, so but but it's the same. I get I get it's the same basic concept. I just you know I'm just a little I, I need a little more work on it. But tonight I'd like to go to sleep instead of talking about uh, you know where did it all go wrong with the phone. I think I'm doing my best actually. I'm, I did pretty good. So I just like to go to sleep. And sometimes when you're alone, it, it can be hard to step outside yourself, do a little uh, like whatever that is, loving kindness, uh, self-compassion, and say, hey, you, you know, you're doing a good job. Being a human is not an easy task. I mean, I tell you what, you, you like you, whatever the heck, I don't think it's a betazoid. I think that's what Troy is, but I can't remember what the character, but, you know, being a human's not easy, and we're all doing the best job we can. But sometimes when you're in bed and you're you're trying to get to sleep and you had a long day, it can be hard to say that to yourself and then hard to kind of take your mind off of the phone stuff. So that's where I come in. If you're new, I'll be talking here. I'll be here keeping you company because I care. I've been there sleepless, clearly. But how, how do you think I'm going to get to sleep tonight and be like, what you, what's up with the phone? So, I, I don't know. I guess that's what I should say. Like, I've been there in the deep, dark night sleepless. So that's why I make this show. You don't need to listen, but but I hope it takes your mind off of things. 
And, you know, don't, don't, don't feel like you're under pressure or be in a hurry to fall asleep. I'll be here talking about Star Trek for a while. Uh, and as I always say, every episode, you know, oh, if you're new, it, t- it can take a few times. If you read through a lot of our reviews, a large percentage of people said I was skeptical or it took two or three times. But, but you know, it might not work for you. I hope it does. Uh, I appreciate you trying the show. I'm glad you're here. And, and not only do I hope, I work very hard. I strive and I yearn to help you fall asleep. All right. Thanks. All right, everybody. We're back with the tra- time for Trek Talk. Uh, sleep with TNG, uh, season five, episode. That's uh, a good question. Uh, I think it's episode 21. Original air date is 27th of April, 1992. Holy macaroni. And the title of this episode is The Perfect Mate. And I don't know if I've seen an episode like this before. This was a really interesting one. And again, I guess it is like uh, 1992, uh, like, like I, I don't know, it's a little detached from planet Earth a bit, but it makes me wonder what the reaction, again, I, I guess I should read some of the press around these episodes. Like, was this, because uh, this episode was, uh, it wasn't steamy. I just love how subtle Star Trek can be with some of this stuff, Uh because I don't know what the average time of day this show was playing at. I, I want to say between like between dinner, uh, like I said, I think I've talked about it, like sometime around you know later than say by the bell, but before prime time. But I could you know I could be wrong a lot about a lot of things. But let's take a look through here. Uh, let's see, it's a peace trip. Uh, I think this is like the story. Let me just read through my notes. I won't like. Uh, uh, to help with something, they're doing a peace trip. They're on the peace train, and they're helping. They got some special cargo. Then they get a. This is like the the beats. Uh, maybe I don't know. Ferengi distress call. Uh, the guests they must remain. Oh, like uh, Ferengi, and then the Ferengi say this is too easy. So that was just like trying to get an idea of the story of the episode. But it starts with uh, Green Planet, uh, Captain's Log, uh, Stardate 45, 76.1.3. Uh, they're trying to end the war between the Krios and Vault Minor. It was, what, ha- what happened to Vault Major, first of all? See, I could play, I, I could play a Vault Minor. Like either, this is M-I-N-O-O-R. But I could play a vault mine. This has miners in it, this episode. That's interesting. But they're having a ceremony of reconciliation uh, that they're going to hold on the uh, Enterprise between the two star systems. And as it opens, they see two, looks like two Earl Greys, uh, two Earl Grey Tees, a gloved ambassador, uh, the Valise, 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 it's uh, like a, uh, they're delayed. Picard's talking to the ambassador. They're drinking tea. They they had to pick up these stranded miners at Herod 4. Uh, but the counselor or the ambassador is just happy. You know, the Federation's helping. And Picard's like, Jordy, the captain of the forge help you with the cargo and everything. And they say, oh, yeah, but uh, can we keep the cargo bay off limits? And Picard says, why? Is it trouble? And he said, no, 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 it's just fragile and irreplaceable. And then they say, then Riker calls. He goes, hey, Captain Picard, we got some Ferengi shuttle in trouble. We're going to go. And then Picard says, let's go help him. 
And the ambassador says, we got to get to Alric. You know, or, is that what I said, Alric? Is that what I was having trouble with? You know, we can't get delayed. And Picard says, don't worry. I'm Jean-Luc Picard of the Enterprise, uh, dude. Don't worry. Uh, let's see. Riker calls. Car goes off limits. Ambassador's worried about the timing. They save the Ferengi. There's two, two, two Ferengi on board. They say energize, you know. Uh, this was also funny. Uh, so they, so there's a Ferengi shuttles in trouble. They rescue the Ferengis. They energize them aboard the Star Trek. What do we got? The Enterprise? The Ferengi shuttle goes bye-bye. And Picard says, or uh, Riker says, get him a room, Worf, get him a room, not near, nowhere near mine. And this is season five, but again, I haven't watched all the episodes. So I'd love to, I'm looking forward to learning more about, uh, Riker's particular disdain for the Ferengi. I mean, though I'm not surprised, even after this episode. Uh, then we have, uh, they're in the hallway. Ferengi are walking down the hall with Worf. They're, they're much shorter than Worf. And Worf says, unless you can pick, get your own ride, get somebody to come pick you up. Uh, this is really what he says. Unless you can get your own transport, you know, you got to stay on board the ship till our mission's done. And they say, oh, no, no, don't worry. We can't wait to hang out on this ship. They have like a twin. They have multi, they don't have twinkle in their eye. They have twinkles. And, um, like, like the, these Ferengi, they really are a good comic relief. And then, like, they, they're like clasping, they're like clasping their hands. Then they get to the room. They like kind of fight each other to get into the room. They're both trying to go through the doorway at the same time as Worf. Worf looks very irritated by them. They say, hey, when can we eat with your ca- captain? Uh, like, uh, we want to eat dinner with your captain. Is he going to invite us to eat dinner or what? And Worf goes, the captain dines alone. And, and I, I guess that's not true. Like, I did, like, I did, like, I, I was confused by that. Like, does Worf mean at dinner? Because we see that the captain does not dine alone. And, but then, like, right before the ad break, the, uh, the Ferengi Worf leaves the room and they say that was too, they say, oh, a pity, uh, that we can't dine with them. And then Worf leaves and then they say that was almost too easy. <laughs> so we know the Ferengi are up to no good. Then the opening, uh, post store, like the episode opens, Cheetah Marks. Oh, yeah, I noticed all these, uh, Valesian, Valesians or whatever they are, um, upper vaults, minor vaulted, Vaultians, they have like cheetah-like marks on their body. There's a temple, Akadar, and something, Krios, and vault. Uh, there's something about the love. Uh, and we see sneaky Ferengi. Also, big news, we learned that there's dolphins on board the Enterprise. I never knew that till this episode. And I didn't have time to Google it, so I don't even understand it. And then orb gets broken. Uh, inner brace, inner brace, eye contact, emergence, eye contact. I am for you, Arik of Vaults. And then uh, the episode ends. <laughs> the episode doesn't end. The, the episode goes, does. Sorry about that. It's been a little while since I've recorded. It's been like a week. Okay, so the so they come back from an ad, ad and... Jordy Picard and uh, Jordy Picard and uh, the ambassador are walking down the hall to go to look at the temple, 
And uh, they say, yeah, we've worked at, Jordy's like, we've been working with your drawings, Ambassador. I hope we're in the ballpark. And really, a strange colloquialism. There'll be two of them in this episode, actually. So I, I don't quite understand, uh, like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like I said, Jesus, I, they talk about a dated expression, and Picard has to explain it. Sorry, it's, uh, in the ballpark means achieving what you wanted. And then they go, run holodeck program, Creos 1. And it's this really cool temple, like a stone temple, it's the temple of Akadar, Akadar or something, the temple that bonds Krios and Vault. I guess Vault, regular Vault, Vault Minor and Vault Major. And something like the, the Spartans and the, you know, like the whatever Paris, because uh, they say two brothers ruled a vast empire from the site, but then, you know, their love for an extraordinary woman tore them apart, and this is where the wars began, and this is where they'll end. And lots of nice details. Uh, then we see one of the Ferengi sneaks onto the cargo bay. He sne- sees this like so, like floating golden orb, uh, like very uh, a big, big, big ovular orb. Then we see some of the details of the. They're looking through all the details of the thing. And, you know, they say, uh, the, the commander's like, okay, Jordy, I'm going to have, I got a couple of things you'll have to work on. Chris says, don't worry, Jordy's on it. Uh, Jordy says, yeah, let me know what you need. And the ambassador's cool, too. He's like, okay, I'm going to look at some historical volumes and then we can reconvene later. And then, oh, this was what I, I don't have the timestamp here. And my, oh, my iPhone 4S isn't working anymore. So I, I don't have the episode playing. I'm working on a solution. I will have it next week. Uh, but so this Ferengi comes creeping up on, so it's Picard, Jordy, and the ambassador, and this Ferengi uh, person says, excuse me, excuse me, is there is there a Creosian ambassador on this vessel? And the ambassador says, yeah, how can I help you? And Picard says, whoa, 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 the ambassador is very busy. And the Ferengi goes, it's so passive, this was awesome. He goes, oh, uh, do you schedule his appointments? I think that was like both a brilliant piece of acting, directing, and writing. Like, it's so funny. He said, oh, do you schedule his appointments to Picard? And whatever the motivation for the Ferengi to say that, whether it's just a natural, irrit- they're just naturally irritating, whether whether he knew it was Picard, so he was messing with Picard, whether he's trying to gather, whatever reason he said that there's the most perfect piece of dialogue on top of being funny, uh, and Picard goes, no, no, I'm the captain of the ship, dude. And he goes, oh, by the way, he goes, I'm Par Lenore of uh, the Ferengi trade mission. We're so happy, Ambassador, that you got this peace thing going. Going to be good for trade. Always good for trade, unless you're an arms merchant, just uh, cracking jokes, making himself laugh. And Picard says, you know, okay, thanks, but we got to go. And the, he's like, did you hear the joke I said, arms merchant? Uh, then they go back, and the other Ferengi is uh, trying, like this floating thing. Uh, he's like building, like. Uh, oh, also, Jordy was very silent there when he says, "Do you schedule his appointments?" Picard's exasperated. Uh, so yeah, then the other Ferengi is like setting up barrels to like uh, look at the orb, the floating orb. Then we go back to the Lenore, Par Lenore, and uh, everybody. 
And he's like pitching, hey, what, what do you think about us having uh, trans, transports rights for Creosian products and uh, going to vaults? And Picard says, maybe later, uh, after we make the peace agreement, maybe. And then the ambassador says, oh, yeah. And then Parlinor is like, oh, no, no, no. And then they put Jordy in charge. And Jordy goes, have you seen the dolphins yet? And I said, I'm sorry, what? There's dolphins on board? Is that a holodeck thing or a real thing? Because Jordy made it sound like it was a real thing. Like, almost like dolphins are the pandas of the future or something, which would make, I mean, would probably make sense. Uh, though, I mean, with a lot of stuff about dolphins, you say, wouldn't they be flying? Like, I thought, you know, so I don't know. But that was just, he said, have you seen the dolphins yet? They're on deck, you know, the entertainment deck, the zoo deck. So then we have Picard and the ambassador on the lift. Uh, Picard's really not happy. He calls Worf. He says, by the way, there's uh, Frankie screwing around on the ship. And Worf says, oh, God, I, got turned, I forgot to turn find my friends, find my frenemies on my, uh, you know, pad display. And Picard says, keep him on a leash. And as soon as Worf looks down, he goes, oh, great. Uh, we got to send security to the cargo bay because that's where the other Ferengi is. And Riker says, Riker says, what's that? He goes, oh, one of the Ferengi's in the cargo bay. And Riker says, I'll call Picard. Uh, let's see, Dolphins yet, Picard and Lyft. Uh, okay, so then we go back to security. Like, they send security to Cargo Bay 1. The Ferengi's, like, looking at the... Oh, he has a scanner out, and he's scanning the um, orb, but he's, like, leaning over it. And Worf really blew it here, but I can't imagine him doing anything else. He opens the door, and there's, like, a silent moment. He goes, what are you doing to the Ferengi who Jin throws his scanner up because he's Worf surprises him and he falls right into the orb and then whatever the engine on the orb that keeps the orb was floating with three little jets uh the engine goes out the orb falls and then it goes from a gold orb uh they kick the Ferengi out and a woman emerges uh, from the thing and at some site at some point um Picard and the ambassador come in, and, you know, Picard's like, what in the heck? Uh, like, the, the other Ferengi's like, I thought this was a barber shop, and that's when they say emergence, and then this woman, a beautiful woman, uh, emerges uh, from the, the orb, uh, fam, I can't say her name, uh, fam, like, like, a, like a very famous actress whose name I can't say, because, like, uh, I already embarrassed myself, uh, but her her name is Kamala on the show. And, like, it's literally love at first sight. She's got this huge smile, and you see Picard, and he's stunned. His mouth, like, is open just a sliver. And she smiles, and she looks at him, and she walks right up to him, and she goes, I am for you, Arik of Vault. And Picard's speechless. And uh, then there's an ad... Okay, so then after that, it's like, and so Picard has to say, I'm not Auric Vault. It's complicated about, you know, fundamental rights of human, you know, of, uh, sentient beings. And I don't need to be revived something. I don't need to be preserved. Pre- 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 I'm the key to peace. I'm a metamorph. A perfect mate is my sole purpose. Then Beverly lays it on Picard, and then Picard checks on Kamala. So that's kind of the next uh, few things. 
So what happens is they come back uh, from the ad, and Riker's in the background, and Picard and the ambassador and Kamal are talking. And I was like, no, no, this isn't Arik. This is Jean-Luc Picard. And she goes, oh, yeah, you didn't look like your holographs. But I could sense your authority. I assumed you were, you know, because you're very in charge. And Picard's like, yeah, what's happening? And Kamala says, yeah, Ambassador, why am I out of stasis prematurely? And he said, accident, it's complicated. Maybe we should be talking without all these super supervision. And Kamala says, it's not complicated at all. Captain has no tolerance for provocation, which I think I told myself to look up. I didn't. Maybe I'll look it up later, but uh, maybe I'll pause it. Okay, I looked it up, it means evasion, which makes sense. Provocation, like being evasive. Uh, let's see. So, uh, so Picard says, they say, oh, it was an accident. Yeah, she says, I'm a Oh, she says, it's not complicated. Don't try to evade it. I'm a gift for Ark of Vaults. And Riker goes, you mean you're using the ship to, to uh, transport a sentient being as property? And the, uh, the ambassador says, no, 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 it's a gift. It's not property. It's a presence. I didn't think you'd understand. And Picard goes, you're, you're darn right. We don't understand. And Kamal says, why are you angry? And Picard says, we protect uh, fundamental rights of individuals. Uh, and you're on board this ship. And she says, by the way, I don't need to be rescued. Uh, like, it's nice of you, but uh, you're not here. Your job isn't to rescue me. And then the ambassador says, she's the key to peace between both worlds. And then they say, well, back, do you know what you remember Paris and the, that whole thing? And they say, no, tell it to us in a different way. And she says, well, there used to be a woman called Gareth who was loved by Creos and Vault, uh, you know, and then, the, 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 you know, the empire fell because Creos uh, uh, took Gareth and, uh, to his planet or something and she says, but like her, I'm an empathetic metamorph. Uh, first female metamorph born in 100 years. Picard says, a meta what? Uh, and she says, like, I have the ability to sense what a potential mate wants and uh, give them the great, you know, give them great pleasure. Uh, I'm sure, you know, you've, you maybe you just, you know, the, the, she goes, read between the subtextual lines. Riker says, subtext, what do you mean? You change yourself to whatever person you're with? Uh, and she goes, well, until I reach the bonding stage, then I imprint myself on the requirements of one person to serve as the perfect partner. And then the ambassador says, you know, male metamorphs are common on our planet, but females are not so common, so they're sought after. And then Riker goes, that's what the Ferengi were after. Is no one would mate with them. That was subtextual. War Riker didn't actually say that. And then they say that then the ambassador says, This has been planned since when she was born. And Picard's like, Wait, say what? He goes, You're doing this by choice uh, to Kamala. She goes, Oh, it's my sole purpose. And then he goes, Well, just take her to some quarters, Riker. This is ridiculous. And then the ambassador goes, I don't want you leaving your room, Kamala. So. Really hard to, to to navigate this, uh, but I don't know if other shows even. I mean, I guess in the golden age of television we have now, there's television dealing with this. But I guess like mainstream primetime television uh, to deal with the, the, this issue, uh, 
I mean, a broad range of issues. This isn't just one issue uh, about fundamental rights and uh, uh, patriarchy and even the deeper stuff. Uh, I don't know. Like, to, to it's really a bold, bold move, uh, especially when uh, they're not, like, uh, they're leaving it open-ended and, and just exploring it, uh, just like the TV show explores. Uh, I don't feel like it's like pedagog. What is that? Pedagogic or di- didactic or whatever. Like they're just exploring it. Uh, uh, even the characters. I don't know. I, I I really think it's an interesting way to deal with this. Uh, as exploring this issue, the issues that, that are brought up in this episode. If you watch it on your own, and says, you know. So okay. So let's see what happens. Uh, male metamorphs. Uh, Frankie Frank interest. I yeah, like that. Okay, so had some good acting, uh, right, like good Riker facial looks. Riker and Kamal are walking down the hall, 1305. She talks about pleasure uh, and pheromones and how provocative it is. Uh, uh, like, uh, let's see, Riker uh, has this uh, twisted smile when she says pheromones. And then uh, he says, I think you have me at a disadvantage Uh and it was just funny, yeah, yeah. Because oh, he says, "Well, I'm not an empath." She goes, "Oh, you're more empathetic with women than you admit." Uh, and that's when Riker says, "You have me at a disadvantage." Then they go in the room. He shows her, "Hey, you can control the lights with your voice, uh, and you can ask the computer if you have any questions." Then they kiss, uh, or she kisses him. I don't know. There's a kiss, and Riker's kind of stunned. And he says, geez, I'm beginning to sense these elevated pheromones you were talking about. Uh, and she goes, you're curious, aren't you? And he goes, curious isn't exactly how I'd describe it. It's really funny. Uh, and she goes, do you know what's really m- remarkable about me- empathetic metamorphs? And Riker's even spinning. He goes, you mean there's something even more remarkable about you? Or he's swept up in the moment, I'd say. And they have another kiss, but Riker fights his desire. Uh, this is really, really fu- like uh, it's not a, it's a serious subject, but this is a funny scene. You should really see how strong Riker is. Like with like uh, at least in this situational duty, he says he you know he can't. He goes no, like like can't do this. Uh, and she goes, well, it's gonna be a long voyage. And uh, Riker goes, it certainly is. And then he leaves the room. He goes. Uh, Bridge, I'm going to be on holodeck four for the next 3.5 minutes. Uh, you know, like, he didn't say that part, but he did say, I'm going to holodeck four. So just great, real. I mean, just so, I don't know, really funny. Uh, then we have Bef, what I termed a back breakfast with Beverly. Uh, they're tearing up croissants. It's Beverly, Crusher, and Picard eating together so the captain does not eat alone. And, uh, uh, seductive coup de gras. What is that? Lovely breakfast. Uh, oh, this is just uh, like, and then uh, throws a napkin. Beverly uh, throws her napkin when she leaves. And then we have a scene, lots of scenes with Kamal in the mirror, which I said, what would Berger say? Jean Berger. <laughs> about Kamal looking at herself being looked at in the mirror. Yeah, but Beverly and Jean-Luc are having breakfast, and Crusher's basically like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, uh, this is wrong. This is like, uh, you can't gift it. Like, uh, this is like patriarchy at its worst. And Picard says, well, arranged marriages have been around for politics for a long time, even ours, Earth, Earth stuff. 
And she goes, geez, John Luke. And he goes, she knows what she's doing. And she goes, no, she's been conditioned uh, as part of a belief system to think it, you know, she exists for pleasure. And Picard, like, so this is a nice presenting of an argument, uh, open-ended. And Picard says, well, maybe this was like the destiny or what she was born to do. And that's when Crusher says, and bred by people to seal a treaty with the seductive coup de gras. And then Picard says, okay, fine, let's just throw the prime directive to the winds like we do every four episodes. And uh, we'll keep her here, we'll mess up the peace treaty, interfere in their societies and their customs. And then she goes, you know she's not allowed to re- leave her room. And Picard goes, really? And she goes, you should know what's going on with your ship, Jean-Luc. Uh, and he goes, I'll look into it. And she goes, thanks for records. And she throws her napkin and leaves. Uh, and he goes, indeed. Then Picard goes into Kamal's room. Let me just see. Layla came. Berger says, uh, yeah, so so she, Picard goes to Kamal's court. She says, come in. And then we're watching her watching. It was kind of confusing, but like we're seeing her through a mirror. And let's see. Yeah, that's when I said, it was, she says, oh, what a nice surprise. And he goes, how's things going? She goes, no, you know, the circumstance is not bad. And he goes, are you supposed to stay in your quarter? She goes, yep. And Picard goes, against your wishes? And she said, the ambassador thinks it would be disruptive uh, for your crew. And Picard says, I don't care about my crew. She goes, oh, you care about my well-being. Thanks, Captain. He goes, I care about the ship and what happens on the ship. Uh, and then this is like funny. So she goes, uh, yeah, I know. The ship's very important to you, isn't it? And Picard says, oh, yes. Oh, yes, it is. Like, I really liked it, how enthusiastic. And she goes, uh, are all captains' lives solitary or just yours? And Picard goes, no, no, don't do that. This uh, empathetic uh, seduction or whatever. And she goes, yeah, I'm sorry. This is just, uh, she goes, this is kind of how I'm wired. It's this, nonetheless, this is who who I am. You might ask a Vulcan to forego logic or a Klingon, you know, to be peaceful. You know, I can't change until I bond with my permanent mate. Why does it bother you? And Picard says, well, it's tough to think that a sentient being can only live for someone else. Uh, and she goes, well, that's what gives a metamorph pleasure. Picard says, what about what you want? And she goes, like, this is a, like a deep argument, uh, or is it? I don't know. I guess some people might say this is just it's barely scratching the surface. So I, I mean, I don't know. But it's just interesting how it plays And she said, well, uh, I, you know, I do, I'm fulfilled by giving to others. And Picard says, well, what if you're alone? And she goes, then I'm incomplete. Well, she goes, these are curious questions, Captain. And Picard says, well, I just wanted to learn more about this situation. And she goes, you know me better than you realize. I'm independent, forceful, brilliant, and adventurous, just like you'd like me to be. And Picard says, okay, I'll talk to your ambassador about, you know, letting you out of your room. And she goes, okay, thanks. And Picard kind of, like, backs out of the room. And uh, she goes in the mirror and looks at it thoughtfully and then kind of turns her head and smiles yeah, then we have the captain's log. They've arrived at the coordinates and are waiting for Ulrich, Ulrich or whatever. And Picard's like, dude, you can't, like the uh, Birium or whatever, the ambassador is playing the xylophone. Or, uh, and Picard's like, you can't confine her. And not every something. Oh, uh, 
They say, well, you can't have around any men like uh, like uh, there'll be the pheromones. And Picard says, well, not every man. And then we see Data, just funny. And then we have seen with like Data, the Empath's Wharf, and the Miners, and Picard meeting after another cut something. One condition, you visit me. Uh, knowledge and curiosity about empathetic powers. And then will you visit me? Uh, something. And then we see the ambassador gets a bribe offer from a Ferengis. So, yeah, so there's xylophone practice in the temple. Then uh, patriarchy off. What does that mean? Oh, because of data, chaperone data. Oh, I guess because Picard and. So, who's more patriarchal, ambassador or Picard? I, I don't know, because I don't barely know what I'm talking about. Uh, then Data's walking with uh, Kamal. He says, as an android, I have no motion. Then they get to the bar, and Riker and Worf are already there. Riker's like, I got to get out of here, man. And she rolls in smiling, like feeling the power of her um, attraction, I guess. Worf kind of watches as the miners kind of act like um, scummy miners. This reminded me of like a bit of weird science, the party of weird science. And Data says, geez, you're being extremely rude. They almost fooled Data. They're like, oh, the uh, um, whatever you think, the, the compressor's out. We can't get any more drinks. Because she's like, what are you drinking, boys? And they're like Eldorian ale. And then uh, they go, Data, can you fix the rec- re- replicator? He goes, N- yeah. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. He almost, he, he like knows better. He goes, I believe I'll stay. And they're still starting trouble, and Data's trying to figure out what to do, and Worf says, is there a problem here? And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 no problem. Like, just one look from Worf is, uh, no, no, no. So Data's like, okay, let's get going. And she kind of growls at Worf, uh, which attracts Worf. And then uh, uh, Data says, thanks, the crowd seemed too ebullient for comfort. And then Data says, how about a visit to the Arboretum? Love that word. I love Arboretum's tree place. And I liked how Worf growled and smiled back. Uh, then we have Kamal and Picard talking again. She goes, maybe I do need to, you know, stay in my room. And Picard goes, well, my crew has control, but I guess the civilians and the guests. Uh, and she goes, well, I'll stay in my room if you visit me. And Picard says, well, why would you want me to visit you? Uh you know what? It, and she goes just to talk, dude. Not because of what you're thinking about. And Ricard says, "Well, I'm not thinking about anything. I swear." And she goes, "Okay, really." And then she picks up like the symbol. She goes, "Jesus, this is a Ven- Ventanian thimble." And Ricard, Ricard goes, "Yeah, yeah." She goes, "Have you seen that Ventanian woven art?" And Ricard goes, "Really? Wove intact woven art?" It's some of this reminded me of a James Clavell novel, uh, like like how much she's learned uh, uh, to kind of keep a conversation with, that would keep a card's interest. Um, not sure which one. Never saw those miniseries. I think it was before my time, but I read the books. Uh, was it Shogun? And uh, I don't know what the other one was called. But Vicar goes, oh, yeah, these symbols are great. And he goes, how do you know about them? She goes, I know a lot about a lot of things. Uh, Ventanian archaeology or the dark woman of raven brows and mournful eyes and Shakespeare's sonnets. Or the gardens in, in France near where you grew up. Uh, 
guy goes, really? You, you know all that from empathy? And she goes, no, no, Data told me some things. She said, I can only see a man of deep passion and conviction, but too controlled, disciplined. Uh, she goes, I want to know what lies belief. And Picard goes, nothing lies beneath. I'm dull. Fall asleep every night with a book. I said, wait a second. I, you mean I have a chance? Because uh, I fall asleep every night with a book, uh, old book in my hands. And she goes, will you visit me? He goes, oh, no, no, no. And she goes, even the walls of Jericho fell. And Ricard says, why are you doing it? And he goes, she goes, because they can tell some part of you is in, enjoying this too or something. Uh, and Ricard just has this stern look. Uh, then we see the, uh, whatever, what are those guys called? Whatever these two dudes were called, Harlan Orr and the other one. Uh, and they're pacing back. One's pacing, the other one's like rubbing. They're like worrying, waiting uh, uh, for something. And then the ambassador shows up, and they're like, uh, ambassadors, what are you trying to bribe me? They go, oh, no, no, that's just a sample. We got 10,000 coming your way. Uh, You know, purest gold in the galaxy. We know know all about you. He he throws some money. He goes, okay, they're really enjoying the bargaining, Uh, the Ferengi. They go, well, what about 20,000? If you throw in the metamorph, we'll give you 20,000. She's answered a Ferengi prayer. They say, oh, you drive a very hard bargain. Oh, and I love how he placed the coins in his hand. I can't remember how he does it. Uh, he, he says, like, he's counting or something. Um, and he, then, I, I don't know, you got to watch it. But it's just really funny. They, like, put in the hands. These Ferengi are very delightfully um, crude people. They're also in St. Patrick's Day-style outfits, like green highlights and everything. And, like, their tattoos are sparkly green, I think. Uh, but then they get in a disagreement about the bribe, and uh, uh, the uh, the ambassador has to take a nap, and they get uh, dispatched via shuttle to Starbase 111 during an ad. Oh, hands-to-face nervous. I don't know what that was from. Med lab, irident. I don't know what that means. Or multi Oh, there's a radiant iridescent, or was it a multicolored silver blanket? And Crusher's like, okay, the, like, what are we going to do now? Like, uh, the doctor's sleep or the ambassador's sleeping. And Picard and Kamal are there. And Picard says, well, we'll postpone it. And she goes, no, it's not possible. You know, I got to imprint on a mate's, uh, like, right away. Because uh, I got, like, uh, she goes, I have two days. And Picard goes, well, there's a bunch of, like, subtle things. And she goes, you're familiar. You know, you, you could help, uh, Bickard says, I don't know. And she goes, well, I could, I could t- tutor you. You know, time is of the effin- essence. And they are both happy, I put. Uh, then 2915, this is gold. Uh, Bickard's playing a, like a bamboo uh, xylophone synthesizer. He's practicing it. Really good, really good, fun scene. Uh, she's playing it, actually. And Bickard's playing air syn- Like, he's playing it in the air while she plays it. Like, he's practicing air xylophone synthesizer and then he gets it and he goes ah he's so happy like he just like it really uh, he says ah i got it uh it was a bit bit sound sounded a bit like the game simon like that uh you would play like once or twice uh, uh where you should follow the patterns of lights and then there's some subtext like uh, they talk about uh piano lessons and 
performance anxiety and letting down your guard and uh, Picard tries to distract her. Well, just let's let's get back to work. And she goes, are you afraid of me? And Picard goes, and what? And she goes, are you not attracted to me? And Picard says, you're unavailable. And she goes, I'm sorry, but we got to. She goes, well, I took piano lessons and every instrument. And even these horns that smelled, sound like moon beasts uh, that serve like calm Valtese men. And then she said, and then she talks a little bit about how sad it was. She goes, you know, that, but I didn't live with my mom. You know, I lived with this team of people training me. And Vicar says, well, geez, that sounds lonely. And she goes, well, no, no, no. Uh, she goes, I had people on my side at all times uh, teaching me everything. And she goes, but I've been thinking about everything you've been asking me. You want to know who I am? And she goes, and I wonder, all, all that goes through my head is, I'm for you, Arik of Vault. Uh, she goes, in a couple of days, I'm going to bond with a man I've never met, and then I'll turn myself into what he wants me to be forever. And Picard says, are you sure you're doing this of your own accord? And she goes, I'm an emissary of my people for peace, uh... And she goes, it's ironic that on the night of this whole thing, I would meet someone like you. And then they, then they get interrupted. They're having a moment, and then they say, the other ambassador's here, Riker calls. And let's see. Oh, his voice changes uh, at some point when they're talking about things. A really good scene. She walks and sits on the throne talking about stuff, who I am. And then they, they, this is replaying the scene again. And then they talk face to face. You once asked me. And they have like a silent gaze right when Riker calls. Then Picard goes to meet Ulrich of, Robert Ulrich, Robert Ulrich of Waltz. Uh, and he grins because he's like, wait a second, I'm better looking than this guy and I'm taller. And the only thing I could think of, like, it, like Picard is such a sigh of relief. And I was thinking, like, can you imagine? Like if if this uh, if you watch this episode, imagine if you're going in there and it's called Drogo instead of this Auric Vault. Like how deflating that would be to see like this uh, ultra masculine, uh, handsome like giant warrior type instead of like a like a small kind of uh, uh, weird looking business person. Like, can you imagine, like, if you were in love with Danny and you never, and then she said, well, well, I don't, I haven't met my husband. Why don't you go meet this call Drogo? And, you know, let me know how you stand up and be like, okay, well, great. It's a call Drogo scammy. I don't, like, he's, in, I don't even know if he's, I don't speak that language. So, whatever horse people is or whatever. So, like the only thing I might be funnier than a call Drogo, but I can't. I probably can't tell, and probably you know, it doesn't matter because he's got hair, he's got it all, muscles, like authority. So Picard didn't have that reaction because he's has the edge on this dude. Probably even funnier than the dude, or whoever this like Robert Ulrich Fultz. Yeah, Picard has his arms at his side. Ulrich has his hands behind his back. And she says, I suppose they sent the metamorph for Kamala. But Picard says, yes. Uh, he goes, well, more into trade than metamorphs. Uh, Picard kind of glares at him behind his back. Uh, uh, then we see a shot of two ships, and we're at her room, Kamala's room. She goes, what's your first impression of uh, my husband? And Ricard says, well, he sells his way like thoughtful man informed. And she goes, did, she, did he ask about me? Yeah. 
She goes, what'd you say? He goes, that you're, you're totally, totally cool. And she goes, well, when am I going to meet him? He goes, tomorrow. And this, I think this is a theme uh, in in people's lives and literature and art of like, uh, like, isn't this just kind of what happened in Casablanca? Like this uh, um, unavailable love triangle uh, where... You're dutifully seeing the other person off, even as you carry feelings for them. I mean, I know I wrote a bunch of poems about it back in the day, so uh, uh, maybe 28. But so uh, Picard's doing it. I think both of them are kind of doing that. Uh, but uh, Picard says, okay, well, you better get ready for your ceremony. She goes, well, why don't we have some tea? And Picard goes, he's like, I got to get out of here. Uh, and she goes, please don't leave. Uh, and then Picard, this actually puts a podcast episode on. She goes, you could just talk to me. I love the sound of your voice. I'll turn out the lights and just listen. Uh, and they said, whoa, holy cow. This is like episode of sleep with me. And Picard goes, well, the lights stay on. And then she goes, Earl Grey tea, hot, extra hot. And then Picard goes, where'd you learn that from data? And then they sit down and Picard goes, well, now that I know you like my voice, I can't really... Uh, he gets a, they, they, he just gets embarrassed and then she, they flirt. I mean, she like, uh, did she touch his head? I think she does. And then, uh, Picard tries it. She goes, uh, am I the most interesting life form you've ever met or one of them? Picard goes, yeah. And that's when she touches his head and then he goes, I gotta get out. He goes, she tries to douse it, uh. He goes, I'm not, she goes, well, she goes, uh, he goes, aren't I discouraging that? And she goes, you're playing hard to get or something. Picard goes, I'm not. And she goes, uh, she goes, that's why I like you or something. And Picard goes, we got to be up early tomorrow. I'm out. And she she goes, tomorrow's light years away. I thought that was a nice line. Uh, Then uh, is tea with Beverly. Uh, middle of the night, uh, 37 to 22. And Picard's kind of staring off like he's kind of leaning out against the couch, his head's on his fist, uh, quiet. Uh, they're drinking tea out of a tea, 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 what are those things called? The teapot instead of straight tea. And I wondered how they, how you decide that when you're replicating tea. Because it seems like the replicator makes the glasses too. She goes, a penny for your thoughts. So that's the second colloquium. Or she just says penny. Uh, and he says, what? She goes, a penny for your thoughts. And Picard says, do you have one? She goes, I'm sure the replicator could uh, find it. And she has like this cat-like grin on. And he goes, can I take off my uniform? And she goes, oh boy, Captain. And he goes, no, no, really, I'm serious. And this is kind of another set of awkward, a different kind of awkward conversation. And you can almost sense it. I mean, I don't know if it's projection or unbelievably excellent acting, but that there's some tension for Beverly on a couple different levels. There's this, uh, like, uh, this uncomfortable situation she's trying to address from her viewpoint with Kamala's sta- sta- status. And then there's whatever her relationship with Captain Jean-Luc is. And then there's her friendship with uh, Jean-Luc. Well, he basically lays it on her. He goes, uh, I mean, he doesn't say I'm in love with the metamorph, but uh, he gets pretty close to saying it. He goes, uh, uh, go, you know, he goes, I've been hoping when I'm alone with her, I hope no one else comes in the room. Uh, 
And he goes, and now she's going to go all over the man forever, and I can't stop thinking about it. Uh, Beverly goes, she said, I wish I could, know, I wish I could help. Uh, and he goes, well, I just needed a shoulder. And she goes, well, it's there for you, Sean Luke. It's always been there. And before he says it, he barely can make eye contact with her. He's looking away, and then he says, the metamorph Kamala. Uh, it just really, really, another great scene. That's it, like around 37 minutes, like I said. Uh, then Picard rings into her room again, uh, and she's, Picard's dressed, they're both dressed up. She's in a wedding dress type thing, and he's morose. He's got his arms at his side. He's a full dress uniform. And she goes, you got any questions? And Picard goes, oh, I got a bunch. Uh, and she goes, well, I'm not, I don't love him. And Picard goes, well, you haven't met him. And she goes, it doesn't matter. Uh, she goes, I wish you could know what it's like to be a metamorph and to feel the inner strength of someone. And that to realize being with him has opened your mind and your heart to endless possibilities. To hear yourself say, I like myself when I'm with him. And Picard says, well, you know, I wish you. She goes, there's no greater wish for any metamorph than to bond with the kind of mate I have, uh, like I bonded with you. And Picard goes, what? And she goes, the person I am today, I'll be forever. And then Data goes, Captain Jean-Luc, time to go. He goes, no, no, no. And he goes, it's ready. And Picard says, you can't go through with this. And she goes, what are you going to, um, what am I going to live on the ship with you? And then we're going to keep, she goes, the prime directive. She goes, having bonded with you, I know the meaning of duty. He'll never know. I'm empathetic. Uh, I only hope he likes uh, Shakespeare. And then they go down to the temple. The Arik or, or Ulrich's in his throne. He jumps up. He's like, whoa. And Picard hang, hands off the bride. She says, I'm for you, Arik of Volts. And then they kiss. And Picard's just kind of watching them kiss uh, closely. Oh, no, there's a close-up of Picard at 4305. And sad music. And, uh, like, uh, that's it. Picard's heart's broke. I mean for at least this episode. And then Picard sees off the ambassador. That's like the closing scene. And the ambassador says, geez, thanks a lot, Captain. And Picard says, glad you recovered from your little nap. Uh, It was simple. And Kamala helped you get me through the rituals. And the ambassador says, well, geez, can I ask you a question? And Picard says, sure. He goes, you know, they picked me for this mission because I'm 200 years old and I'm not, you know, I got low T. Uh, so I wouldn't be tempted, but even I was, uh, like, uh, affected by the pheromones. Uh, and you worked with her side by side for days. How did you resist her? And Picard says, uh, Ambassador, you know, have a safe trip. I'll see you later. And then that's it. So good episode. Another one with Picard in, in a romantic, uh, kind of romantic situation, uh, you know, where you kind of feel for him. You feel for your commander, Jean-Luc. Uh, I don't know. I really like this episode and uh, enjoyed it, and I hope you did too. Good night.